Hello. Welcome to Lifelines, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Joining us today is Kurt Condridge, an advocate for children with special needs and founder of Chloe's Foundation, named for his daughter who has Down syndrome. Welcome to the program, Kurt. Thanks, Maria. It's an honor to be here, and thank you for all the awesome work you guys do there at the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Thank you, Kurt. Now, you and Chloe recently spoke at the National Right to Life Convention. What was your message to the attendees? Yes, we were very blessed to be invited down there by National Right to Life, which is the oldest uh, national pro-life organization advocating for our most precious national treasure, human life. So uh, we were asked to come down there because we we have a message of embrace, don't erase kids with Down syndrome. <clears throat> Ever since prenatal testing has advanced and allowed us to identify children with Down syndrome in the womb, abortions for these beautiful individuals has gone up uh, to 90% plus in, in many countries. It's between 60 and 80 in the United States. So our message down there was that these children are a precious, priceless gift from God and that um, what's happening with this, I call it a prenatal genocide, is it, my message is it's the ultimate extreme form of prejudice, profiling, discrimination, bias, bigotry. My wife calls it prenatal bullying and the ultimate hate crime when you identify, target, and terminate a child because they don't meet the cultural mandate for misguided perfection and, and eliminate them. Basically, what's happening is they're being eliminated from the face of this earth. So our message down there was to embrace Stony Race and to show people. My my daughter, Chloe, actually spoke before my presentation down there and really wowed the crowd and showed her many abilities that she's not defined by her diagnosed disability. Yes, and I actually had a chance to watch your speech and Chloe's speech on Facebook, and it was just tremendous. And And you could tell how the crowd just fell in love with Chloe, as we all do once we meet her. It's it's been amazing, Marie. You know, Chloe turned 16 this year, and you know, prior to getting involved with the advocacy that, that God has has led me into, you know, I was a police officer for 20 years, and the thing that's really um, resonated with me watching Chloe grow and develop and interact, and the, the seeds she's planted in the community, and the, just the impact she's had on our society is, you know, Chloe and children like her. They don't have malice, evil, and hatred in them. I mean, she can have a behavior and she can get upset about things, but I've never, in my 20 years as a, as a cop, I never had a call where somebody with Down syndrome was committing an, a heinous act or robbing someplace or going on a random shooting. And, you know, as, and as I've watched that and I've watched Chloe develop and I've watched her interactions with people, you know, it's it's just, it's been amazing to me to to be just, to be a blessed, to be part of this, this group of people who just, like I said, bring nothing but unconditional love and joy and purity and goodness, all the things that our culture's desperately missing. And I, I wrote an article a few years ago that Adam and Eve had Down syndrome until the devil stole the extra chromosome. Kids with Down syndrome individuals have an extra chromosome, trisomy 21, and I wrote that they're, they're an example of how we were meant to be prior to our fall after the devil showed up. That's just amazing. Now, take us back to when Chloe was born. What was the atmosphere like in the hospital? Well, during our appointments, my wife was 40 at the time when <clears throat> she was pregnant with Chloe. We knew we were having a girl. My son, Nolan, was four at the time, was very excited about his sister coming. We had already named her 
Chloe in the womb. But during the pregnancy, we were pressured, it was in 2003, to have these prenatal tests because we were advised that we were a high risk to have a ch- we were at risk to have a child with Down syndrome. And risk is not a, a kind word. It connotates something that's not good, that's unsafe. So we, we refused the test. But, you know, I'd asked a medical personal, why you keep pressuring us to have the prenatal test? And they say, well, so you can make a decision. And I'd asked, well, what kind of decision, you know, and then basically was whether you, know, you, you want to keep your child or not. They test positive for Down syndrome. So that just greatly offended me. And shortly, you know, but we did, we did deny the test. Chloe was born. And after she was born, she she had asked for it. She was crying and the doctor was looking at us while he's had a C-section. And um, I said, is Chloe okay? And he just, he didn't really answer. And finally said, well, I think so. Then he walked over with his mask and said that she had characteristics of Down syndrome. And I asked the doctor, I said, well, can I hold her? And I'll never forget. He looked at me and goes, oh, you want to hold her? Almost like he was surprised that I wanted to hold my daughter. And I said, yes, bring her to me. He brought her over to me. And, you know, she had the characteristics of Down syndrome. She was a, a beautiful little girl. And she looked me in the eye. And it just, you know, I, I, I tell people I fell in love with her right then and knew that, you know, she was our child. We had to take her home and love her. And we'd figure this Down syndrome stuff out. And, you know, it, it just, it just it really deeply troubled me to think that, you know, we were being offered tests to exterminate this child because she might not have met the cultural mandate. And and um, that's why I've devoted my life to making sure that these kids were accepted by society, embraced, not erased. So, Kurt, what finally caused you to leave your career in law enforcement to become a dad advocate, a dad who is an advocate for people with disabilities? Well, actually, yeah, I call myself a dadvocate. Um, it's a word I heard from a from a father down in the south. I I saw him posting about that, so I asked him if I could use that word. <clears throat> so after Chloe was born, I did talk to families who had had you, you start connecting with other families who have children with Down syndrome, and I connected with families that had the prenatal test and were advised their child had Down syndrome. And every single person I spoke to, and I I dialogue with people all over the world just via the internet and groups and that. And every person I communicate with told me that they were advised after the Down syndrome diagnosis prenatally, they were advised and oftentimes pressured to terminate the child. And I just started thinking to myself, wait a second. I, and I asked them, well, why were you? And they were told that their child would be a burden. Their child would not be able to, you know, function, would, would, would cause stress in the family, would only be able to do you know, certain things. And that was all false. I'm a, as a police officer, I, I like facts and truth. And I thought, well, that's not true. I mean, my daughter was reading at age three. My son taught her to read. And she's, you know, she's currently, you know, going to high school and she, she does amazing things. I thought, well, they're giving people false information. And that false information is leading to this genocide of a, of a beautiful group of people. So I'll be honest with you, Maria, I just, I, I, it, it stirred my soul. I couldn't run from it. I compare myself to Jonah at times, you know, I, I, I had my life all figured out. I was going to be a police officer. I was going to do this, have a career and advance. And I said, but God had a, when Chloe was born, had a different plan for me, a different journey, different route. And I prayed about it and I thought about it. And I just, you know, I just surrendered myself over to God, became obedient and available to his calling, which was to make sure that people had the truth and facts about these amazing kids and, you know, and to use us to put an end to this prenatal genocide. That is just incredible. Now, you and Chloe actually have spoken at the United Nations. What was that experience like? We've actually spoken twice up there, and it's it's amazing. You know, we wrapped up there by a great organization called CFAM, and um, it was in response to 
back in uh, like 2016-2017, Iceland came out with a statement that they had cured Down syndrome. What they were doing is they were almost pretty much mandating the prenatal test for Down syndrome, and they had found out that in Iceland, not a child was being born with Down syndrome. It had actually from the last seven plus years, a child, someone with Down, not a child with Down syndrome has been born. And one of their medical professionals out there, directors, came forth and said that they have cured Down syndrome. So by making that statement, they, they've cured Down syndrome by killing all children diagnosed prenatally with Down syndrome. So CSAM, the organization, like I said I was asked to speak up there for the first year, and actually it was the Holy See, which is the Vatican, last year asked us to speak on this issue, and it was um, <clears throat> about this prenatal genocide. And, you know, I was at the United Nations to, to I say, to shine light on this darkness in front of a global audience. And also, I was up there to ask the question, well, with prenatal testing advancing, who's next? What if we get a prenatal test for autism, ADHD, depression, baldness, shortness, brown hair, brown eyes? And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you, Marie, it was amazing. The message was just, there were people in there who I know were pro-abortion, but when we got done delivering the message, Chloe was with me, she would interact with the people. There were many people in tears, and um, the last year we pro- when we spoke, several people from all over the country wanted to have their picture with Chloe just as a, as a visual to remind, you know, what they had heard that day. And I, I have a picture I could share with your audience if they want of, of Chloe actually standing uh, between the ambassador from Saudi Arabia and the ambassador from Russia. She gave them both a copy of the book she's in and on and signed it for them. She's standing there talking to them, and right in the middle of them, she flashes the peace sign. And I just <laughs> thought to myself, well, there it is. Close it to the United Nations to, to bring about world peace by ending the ultimate form of, of death. You know, we think the United Nations addresses, you know, genocide and all these things that are happening worldwide. Well, the greatest cause of death worldwide, the greatest cause of genocide worldwide, is the instrument of abortion. And, you know, we were very blessed to be able to be there for two years and speak to the United Nations. I think we'll probably be going back there again and, as I said, shine a light on this darkness and to highlight on a global level what's being happened, what is happening with prenatal testing and um, Down syndrome genocide. Now, speaking of pictures of Chloe, she has actually had her photo displayed in Times Square numerous times. How did that come about? The National Down Syndrome Society, which is a, which is an awesome organization as advocates, has a has a contest every year where people submit pictures of individuals with Down syndrome, just doing you know daily things or focusing on their abilities, and you know they get thousands of entries, and certain ones, not that many, are chosen, and they're shown on the big screen in Times Square uh, during World Down Syndrome or Down Syndrome Awareness Month. So, Chloe, we, we've submitted pictures over the years, and, you know, it's, I would say it's God's hand. We've been blessed that four times her picture has been chosen in 2007, 2012, 2014. And just this past year was a picture of Chloe with Vice President Pence that was chosen that was that's put up on the big screen, the big screen in Times Square. People walking by, see them. They see all the beautiful families there and the kids and interact with them. New York City police are up there, and it's just a... Uh, I say it's just a beautiful day of highlighting abilities, of beauty, of of all the amazing things that these individuals can do, that they're all unique individuals, not defined by their diagnosis. And um, like I said, I would would say, Maria, it's God's hand. It just has used that because it's a New York City's one of the centers of the world. And to have these pictures of these beautiful individuals up there just shows the world that, that these are people that should be embraced and not erased. Kurt, give us an idea of the musical artists that Chloe has been privileged to meet. 
I like to write Maria, so I've, I've written Chloe Loves Christian Music. She loves all types of music, to be honest with you, country music, even modern music and that. So I've written to some of the audiences, and um, I'll just, once again, I give credit to, to my Lord and Savior. You know, Chloe has, has been backstage to meet uh, individuals like Toby Mack, the band Switchfoot out of California, uh, met us up in New York City, had us backstage. It's Chloe's, one of Chloe's favorite bands, and my son's favorite band, we, tr- we found out that the lead guitar player as a brother with Down Center. We met with them, Chris Tomlin, Mandisa, King and Country, Big Daddy Wee, the Newsboys, Jordan Felice, Colton Dixon, Jamie Grace, some stinking Phil Wickham. She's actually meeting the Chainsmokers, our secular group. She's actually meeting them in October. I wrote to them, she likes her song Paris, and they're going to meet Chloe backstage and have her give from one of her books. So I... I just would have to say, honestly, it is God's hand. I think God is using Chloe as an instrument of light to shine it on the culture, the show people that, you know, whether it's Christian music, country music, secular music, that, and Chloe loves to dance. If you ever go to a wedding with her or a dance party, your, your most difficult thing will be getting her off the floor. But she loves music. She loves to sing. And uh, I, I believe that God is connecting her with these individuals and these groups to, like I said, to shine that light because music's an international thing. It's an international language everybody can relate to. And by having her connecting with them and getting pictures with them, it's just, I think it's it's another way of just changing hearts. You know, the way we're going to end this, this culture of death and end this genocide against the of kids with Down syndrome is through love, is through is through our faith, is through our 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 faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what she's doing. She's shining the light through these meeting with all these people. You're listening to Lifelines on JMJ Radio. I'm your host Maria Gallagher. With me is Kurt Condridge, an advocate for people with disabilities. Now Chloe has met with the president and vice president. What were those experiences like? Well, once again, they were just absolutely amazing and priceless. You know, we, we, were, we were blessed when Vice President Pence did the commencement at Grove City College. I had written to his, one of his staffers, and she loved our story. And we actually had a private meeting with Vice President Pence and his wife, Karen Pence, when they did the commencement at Grove City. It was, it was awesome. Chloe signed a book for them, and we talked with them just about life and families and thanked him for, for his unbelievable, you know, uh, support for the sanctity of life and defense of our most vulnerable kids. And through that, you know, made some other connections. And when President Trump spoke at the March for Life back in 2018, it was the first time a president live addressed it from the White House when the vice president was there. We received a call from the White House. I didn't believe it at first. It, it asked us to come down there and stand with the president while he did this address to the March for Life. And we have pictures. Chloe stood right behind President Trump along with our family. And when he walked up on stage, Chloe actually tapped his arm to give him one of her books. And he bent down. He spoke to her. He, he kissed her on the head. And I remember he stood up and said, she's beautiful in front of, the, of a world audience once again. And people say, well, how'd that happen? I say, well, God, God, if you have faith, you know, the size of a, a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to move. And God, once again, was using her. And one of the cool things, I actually have a picture of this during the speech at the March for Life. Chloe started pointing up in the sky and telling me, and I I see him, Dad, I see him. I, and I said, who, honey, do you see? She goes, I see him. I said, who? She goes, I see Jesus. And she was pointing right down to present while he was addressing the March for Life. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Marie, I believe she saw him there because she, you know, she understands the magnitude of this issue and how critical it is. There's no greater issue facing our nation. I don't think there's ever been a greater issue facing our nation than this this culture of death. And you know, we were asked to be there and be part of it. It was just it was absolutely amazing and magical. How has America shown more regard to endangered animals than to endangered children? <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for bringing that up, Maria. You know, a couple years ago, I was at Myrtle Beach, and I was um, <clears throat> with my son. We were kayaking. I saw a sign that, that warned of very stiff, steep penalties if you disturb a turtle nest or specifically a turtle egg. And believe me, I like animals. I like turtles. I think they're cool and this and that. But then I started thinking, why is that? Well, they're endangered species, so they're trying to protect them. Like I said, if you mess with a turtle egg, you go mess with an eagle, an eagle egg or eagle nest, you're going to get fined. You'll probably end up in jail, and you'll probably end up in the nightly news. Well, I started thinking, you know, my daughter has been wiped off the country of Iceland, so she's almost extinct there, and definitely an endangered species. And she's an endangered species in this country and other countries with a 60 to 90% plus uh, targeted termination rate, then she would classify as a mammal that's in danger. And, you know, we, and, and I, I often quote this, and I think it's something that all your listeners need to, to spread this. In 1973, with the Endangered Species Act, we criminalized killing our most vulnerable animals, our most endangered animals. But the same year in 1973, we legalized killing our most vulnerable and endangered children like my daughter Chloe with the legalization of abortion. So the same year was criminalizing killing animals, legalizing killing children. And, you know, I asked people if they agree that it's okay to guard a turtle egg or an eagle. And they say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Then I asked, well, what is, I asked this United Nations, I said, well, what is a turtle egg? A turtle egg is an unborn turtle. It's protected because it's endangered. So I use this reasoning Then my daughter in her unborn state and people like her with Down syndrome should be under the Endangered Species Act because they are being systematically wiped off the face of this earth and are in danger of extinction. So if we're going to do it for animals, then we sure as heck better be doing it for individuals, beautiful individuals like my daughter Chloe. Now tell me about the experience of children with Down syndrome in Iceland. As I said, a few years ago, their medical director came out and said that they cured Down syndrome, and they cured it by utilizing prenatal tests and getting rid of all kids with Down syndrome so that for the past seven-plus years, not a child with Down syndrome has been born in Iceland. So it's a very slippery slope. If we believe that curing individuals that we perceive as not being worthy of being in our culture, and I've already explained, I've already shown you, and I show everybody why these individuals are integral part of our culture, but if we believe that we're going to allow us to cure them by killing them, think like as, as I say, Maria, God help us as prenatal testing advances and we have tests for every type of thing because we're all disabled. If you want to see a disabled person, I challenge all your listeners and readers to go look in the mirror because we're all disabled. And if you live long enough, you will become disabled. If you can wipe out an individual prenatally because you say they don't belong here, then why not do it postnatally if they, become, if they get to a point where we don't feel like they're useless anymore? Let's get rid of them. So it's that's that's the slippery slope that Iceland has opened up. And in many ways, to be honest with you, it's opened up this dialogue and this loud voice of of crying out. And I do believe that this prenatal genocide and eugenic movement is the toll that's going to collapse the culture of death. Kurt, what is Chloe's law, and how did you get it passed? Well, I didn't get it passed. God got it passed by using us. We. <laughs> When I started uh, realizing how these people were, who got the prenatal test, everybody was told basically to abort and weren't given any good information, you know, factual information. Chloe and I just started driving to the Capitol and meeting with legislators, Republican and Democrat. This is let me make this very clear to Marie. This is not a political issue at all. This is a life issue. This is not this is not a liberal or a conservative. This is a life issue. This is a a global issue. And so we, we started going to Capitol. We started meeting with legislators. I started showing them her abilities and, and telling them how important services were, like early intervention to invest in so they wouldn't just have a good birth but a good life. 
And I, I started thinking that when a woman gets a prenatal Down syndrome diagnosis, instead of being told to abort, at the very minimum, she should be told about early intervention, special ed, Miracle League, um, you know, all, all the, we have a Center for Theater Arts show that has a great program, all the beautiful things that these kids could be doing throughout their life to keep them, keep the world focused on their abilities. So that was kind of the genesis. I actually had this like two o'clock in the morning for Chloe's Law, and we framed it as the Down Syndrome Prenatal Education Act, as an education law. And like I said, Chloe and I met with probably most of the legislators in the House and Senate up at uh, the Capitol, state Capitol. We gave them information, and the law, we started doing it in the fall of 2013. In July of 2014, the law was on the Governor Corbett's desk at the time. It had passed the Senate 50 to 0, the House 196 to 2, which in itself shows the miracle of it. And the law was signed by the governor, and he let Chloe, her friend Alex, and friend Thomas also sign the law on his desk, and I have a videotape of it, and I just, once again, I give the credit to God for moving these hearts and for using us to be his instrument to do that. The Pennsylvania House of Representatives has gone a step further in passing the Down Syndrome Protection Act. Why is that bill so important? Because that that acts the next step that will actually, it will outlaw terminating a child based on a diagnosis of Down Syndrome. And it's and it's being, it's it's, it's part of the, the law in Pennsylvania that, that does not that, that makes it against the law to terminate a, a child because of a diagnosis of being a female. And as many of us know, there's many countries that will dot, that will identify a child in the womb as a woman, as a female, and will kill that child because they don't feel women are equal. I don't know where the equal rights people are out protesting that, but this law is basically that. It's to stop genocide. It's to, it's, it's to address that, and it's, it's to make sure that people aware of this. And as I said before in the interview, Maria, to be aware that as prenatal testing advances, this is an issue we're going to be facing more rapidly as we decode, you know, genetic makeups and that, and, you know, who's next to be, who's next? Who's the next person that they're going to identify, target, eliminate because they don't meet the cultural mandate. And that's what the Down Center Protection Act will do. It will outlaw that and also it will shore up and, and prepare for a future where, you know, that we were able to do this. And like, as I also say, if we can do this prenatally, then what's going to stop us from doing it postnatally? And we all should be asking, what if there's autism, ADHD, baldness, acne, breast cancer, you know, thinning hair? If we can, if we can diagnose those things prenatally and eliminate people, then everybody should be looking in the mirror and say, who's next? Kurt, please explain Chloe's special relationship with a fallen police officer. Sure. Well, quickly, in 2009, it was a horrible tragedy in the city of Pittsburgh. <clears throat> I worked for the Pittsburgh Police Department in 2009. I wasn't working there then. There were three officers killed in an ambush. I knew all three of them, and the one I knew really well, his name was Paul Schullo. He was lived on the beat. I used to walk and patrol, and his beautiful parents, beautiful sisters, his beautiful family, he was the first one shot. It was a crazy domestic call, and he was killed along with the other two awesome officers. And so I would visit Paul's parents, <clears throat> Max and Susie, just to try to give them comfort. And Chloe really bonded with them. And Paul's buried up by Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. His, his tombstone with his face on actually overlooks the hospital. So Chloe has appointments up there. And, and the one time I stopped up there was the first time I had Chloe with me. She got out and started, like, talking to Paul at his tombstone, talking to his face and this and that. And then after that, we would stop by his parents' house. We were close by, and she started telling them things about Paul that only basically they knew about foods he liked and who he was hanging out with in heaven. She would see him. She said she saw him up there. And then one time we were up there, and she's talking to Paul, and, and she said, Dad, I have to talk to Max and Susie. I said, okay, honey. So I took her down there after her appointment. 
And she started telling them that she saw Paul up in heaven, but she saw him holding a baby. And both parents became very emotional. And, you know, and I was, I was, I apologized. And they said, no, no, no let, let her finish, Kurt. And, and Chloe said, well, I see Paul up in heaven. He's holding a baby. It's, it's his brother and his name's David. And they're up in heaven together. And both parents started crying. got very emotional. I said, oh, I'm so very sorry. And well, they proceeded to tell me that Susie had miscarried a baby boy some 40-plus years earlier, and only her and her husband knew about it. And when Paul was killed, they said to each other, nobody else, at least Paul's in heaven with his brother. And Chloe is standing there in their living room telling them that she sees them up in heaven with their brother, and which, which is impossible. There's no way that could happen, but she did it. And I, you know, it's, it's, I have witnesses that have, and it's actually a couple that's on videotape and that, some of the interviews about that. And um, I said it just, it was God's way once again of showing what amazing connection these children have to heaven, have to God, have to seeing things that we can't see. And I said, what's really cool also is Chloe just proved to everybody out there that unborn children who die in the womb are in heaven and that we will meet them and see them again one day. And I think that's, that is, I've thought about that, that's just an astronomical thing that needs to be broadcast, not just nationwide, but worldwide, to show that here's a little child that the world's trying to wipe out who's just proven that unborn children who die in the womb are in heaven and you will meet them again one day. What, a, what an amazing, priceless thing and for all people who have lost children before their birth. That's just such an incredible story. I hope they make a movie of that someday. I do, too. We, we try to get it out. We, we shared it at the National Right to Life Conference, and I have a short video, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. So. Oh, my gosh. Now, what advice do you have for parents who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome? My advice, I, I talk to parents who get the diagnosis. The first thing I say to them is congratulations on your beautiful child. My advice is to let them know there's tons of supports out there. Pennsylvania, we're very blessed in the state. We have an amazing early intervention system that puts down a solid foundation. As I said, Chloe was reading at age three. Reads, reads better than most of the policemen I worked with. And asked whether she's, just, you know, she's. There's all kinds of support services, special ed services. There's community things going on. There's coffee shops that we were one down in. I forget the name of down Charleston where just individuals with special needs work. There's there's so much goodness that these children bring to your life, bring to your family. I think of Chloe's relationship with her brother, Nolan. Nolan would not be the man, a 20-year-old man he is today, and the way he treats women, the way he has his faith in that work, not for his sister. And I think of all these people that have aborted these children with the false notion that they're going to be a burden, and that the siblings who have lost this amazing, special, heavenly relationship because they, they bought into the lies of the culture. You know, I often tell people, Marie, you can follow the word or follow the world. It's a one-letter difference, and the L gets you lost because it's all lies, especially when it comes to life. And my message is to embrace, don't erase, and, and that, to, you know, you can share my information, connect with us at Chloe's Foundation. We're going to be helping people to connect to these services, to connect to all the things that are available out there, and and, and understand that these children are they're a gift, they're a blessing, and I often kid that Chloe will have a mansion in heaven, I'll be sweeping her driveway. <laughs> now, we just have a few seconds left. If yes. people want to find out more about Chloe's Foundation and your work, what should they do? We have a website. It's chloesfoundation.com. That's with a C. And, you know, right now we're in the, we just recently got our 501c3 approval as a nonprofit. We're raising funds to help these families. We want to help families adopt. We want to adopt children with Down syndrome, provide the technology to them to, uh, you know, just help them with anything that they need. That's our goal, not just being pro-birth, but pro-life from 
conception and natural death. And, you know, there's Thank lots of money. Thank you being so set. much, Kurt. We're going to have to leave it there. I got you. You've been listening to Lifelines, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm Maria Gallagher. Remember, there's always a reason to choose life.